welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, Counterspin, On the Media, and Le Show. Right, we'll bring you uh, day one of uh, Glenn Beck uh, on, on his new... Uh, oh, it is up. All right, here we go. Oh, uh, so we do have Glenn Beck. Is this uh, his first quick. day at CNN? Yeah, it's his first day at CNN. This is the loathsome conservative talk show host. Let's have a little bit of fun with him. He was clever, though. Very funny, as you'll see here on the youngturks.com. Incredible portion of the program. Uh, look at some of the stories uh, in the news with an actual news person. Every night we'll be joined uh, by Erica Hill, the anchor of Prime News on CNN Headline News, now at 6 o'clock Eastern. Her show started tonight just like this one. That's right. We're newbies. It's a big night all around. You are looking hot in leather. Well, thank you, Ben. You I'll be on your show every night oh, just for that. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing <laughs> leather pants right now. Oh, okay. no. I'm not wearing pants. Okay, that was definitely more information than I needed. Uh, what do we have in the news today, Erica? Okay, this one getting a ton of press today, all about a letter. The sender, Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the recipient... Wait, nice job, Eric. Wait, this is why you're the news person. Say the name again. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. How long did it and take you to... And hopefully in slow motion, no. when I wasn't mumbling through it, it was correct. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad? Ahmadinejad. Ahmadinejad. I'm going to have CNN International calling me to say that it's wrong. I mean, let me tell you something, man. We've got Bush. President Bush. You've got Amadeba job? Incredible portion of the program. Right, there you go. It's Glenn Beck. It's good stuff. Hey, Glenn Beck, you're, you're on CNN. It's okay to know the name of the Iranian president. And to have your pants up. Uh, that was one of the most awkward, uncomfortable things I've ever watched. Uh, but I can see why those zany conservatives are so entertaining. They belong on television. Given George W. Bush's falling popularity, you can't blame Fox News for looking for a new formula to replace its traditional White House cheerleading. But is the next big thing for Fox going to be white supremacy? Take a recent rant from Bill O'Reilly. On his May 17th show, O'Reilly warned of an anti-white, anti-Christian conspiracy led by the New York Times. Quote, the newspaper and many far-left thinkers believe the white power structure that controls America is bad, so a drastic change is needed. According to the lefty zealots, the white Christians who hold power must be swept out by a new multicultural tide. Close quote. According to O'Reilly, the Times and many others on the left want, quote, the legalization of millions of Hispanic illegal aliens, close quote, in order to accomplish this. Just for the record, the lefty zealots at the New York Times endorsed white Republican Rudolph Giuliani over black Democrat David Dinkins for mayor of New York City and white Republican Michael Bloomberg over Latino Democrat Fernando Ferrer. That's a pretty odd way to go about bringing down the white power structure. O'Reilly isn't the only one pushing the white people under threat idea. On May 11th, Fox's John Gibson told his viewers to do your duty, make more babies. His explanation was a new report indicating that half of the children under five in the U.S. are minorities. Said Gibson, quote, by far the greatest number are Hispanic. You know what that means? 25 years and the majority of the population is Hispanic, close quote. 
Actually, Latinos are projected to be 20% of the U.S. population in 2030. But then facts don't have much to do with the sort of fears O'Reilly and Gibson are selling. Gibson has vehemently and repeatedly denied any racist implications in his remarks, at one point declaring, quote, a browner America doesn't bother me in the slightest, close quote. On May 16th, Gibson explained it this way, quote, My concern was simply that I didn't want America to become Europe, where the birth rate is so low, the continent is fast being populated by immigrants, mainly from Muslim countries, whose birth rate is very high, close quote. Good thing he cleared that up. A couple of months back, we discussed the prospect that one day the Internet might be split into a fast lane and a slow lane. That's because the telephone and cable companies that supply us with broadband service believe they're getting a raw deal. They say that content providers ought to be willing to pay extra for the high-speed delivery that is now available to all, a state of affairs called network neutrality. Well, that fateful day may fast be approaching. Earlier this month saw the introduction of a House bill, soon to be followed by a Senate bill, neither of which include any real neutrality safeguards, though an alternative House bill does. If net neutrality is struck down, the anarchic Internet could become rigidly hierarchical, and some of the services you depend on could slow to a relative crawl. Siva Vadyanathan is a professor of culture and communication at New York University and a staunch defender of net neutrality, and he joins us now to explain the stakes in this debate. Siva, welcome back to the show. Thank you, brother. First, Siva, the issue of net neutrality. It's as dry as it is crucial. Lay it out with feeling. The reason network neutrality is important is that if we want to keep cool services like YouTube or Facebook, really powerful cool ideas made possible by the even playing field of the internet. If we want to keep that culture healthy, then we want to make sure that there is something preventing these phone companies from discriminating and picking favorite companies over other ones. But the fact is, internet service providers are being forced to satisfy the exploding appetite, both of us, internet users, and also content providers. And don't they have a point in saying people who use it more, whose demands are greater, ought to pay a higher price for that? Well, you know, the question is not, of course, whether individual consumers should pay more, because we do. If we want faster service in general, we pay for it. The question is whether individual firms providing internet services are going to pay more. Now, this is what the phone companies aren't telling you. The whole reason that there is a market for broadband is that there are cool services, video services like YouTube, multiple sources of content like Google, internet phone services like Vonage and Skype. Those have created the very demand for broadband. If we didn't have that stuff, if every web page were static and text-based, if we just did email and instant messaging, we could all do very well with dial-up. Fair enough. But now the demand is there and AT&T and Verizon, among others, cable companies are providing the pipes to that content. Why shouldn't they be able to profit as that market explodes? Well, no one's arguing they shouldn't profit and certainly no one's arguing that they don't profit. But what they're actually proposing doing is double billing. 
they want to charge me and you consumers getting broadband service a very high rate and extort money from the service providers so that those willing to write the big check get their stuff delivered faster to you and me. That's not a fair business practice, nor is it really healthy for the sort of information and cultural environment and economic playing field that we really want to see on the Internet. I think what the uh, what the phone and cable companies are saying is, look, we're not going to prevent this stuff from getting to you. They just have to pay for higher speeds. But you live and die by speed on the Internet, don't you? Well, especially if you look at the very services that threaten phone and cable companies, video delivery services like YouTube. I mean, those that's a direct challenge to cable companies like Cox and Time Warner and Internet phone services like Vonage and Skype, which are providing really high quality audio global phone calls for almost no money, those companies threaten the core business of these older companies. AT&T, Verizon, the cable companies have to maintain these physical plants. It's expensive. They have to constantly update. They have to do an enormous amount of service and billing and blah 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 Come on, you think they're just dastardly dens tying uh, Pauline to the railroad track? Not at all. They're rational actors. I mean, they're doing exactly what any of us would do in that particular situation. They're trying to maximize the rents they can charge. They're trying to seek out any money-making opportunity and identify what they think are free riders in their system. And so, like any rational company, they've spent a tremendous amount of money on lawyers and lobbyists, and they have the ear of Congress. So that has tilted the debate. We, on the other hand, you and me, consumers, people who, who actually pay for this kind of stuff and would suffer by this radical change in the Internet, we don't have lobbyists. Now, I still believe that if Congress and the FCC hear from enough Americans that we like how the Internet has grown, then we might actually take some advantage of our power as voters. Well, you've taken us to Washington, so let's stay there. There are a number of bills floating on Capitol Hill, including one this week in the House called the uh, Communications Opportunity Promotion and Enhancement Act of 2006, or COPE. I've been reading about it. Some say it does offer a couple of protections for network neutrality. Others say it offers none at all. In any case, it is going to be decided behind closed doors, as will the later bill that's coming in the Senate, which apparently offers no protections for network neutrality. Yeah, you know, the whole legislative array right now is very confusing, and it's actually intentionally confusing. But basically what's going to happen is what all too often happens with these big telecom bills. They're going to have different versions passed in the House and the Senate. They're going to go to a conference committee. The conference committee is going to meet behind closed doors so that we, the people, get no clue as to who decides what or votes how. And then the House and Senate are going to be asked to approve a, a conference committee report coming out. There's a lot of question whether they can do all of this work before the end of this current session or whether they're going to hold it off till after the fall elections. But, you know, basically, there's a lot at stake right now. And so far, Congress has not heard the voice of the everyday consumer. They're basically letting the telecom lobbyists write the bills. But isn't it hard to rally consumers around this issue? I mean, I think given the nature of the Internet, it's kind of hard to believe that it really, despite whatever regulation you may try impose on it, that it can really be controlled. There are a couple of different ways to look at this. There's the romantic way, right? The romantic way is that we want to have the Internet as the wild frontier for entrepreneurship. And that's a strong case. There's also the 
liberal free speech argument, which says we want the Internet to be a level playing field so a variety of voices can enter the public sphere. That's a fairly strong argument. But then you've got the economic argument, which is those of us who write checks every month to these companies, we want to be able to know that we are getting decent service for what we're paying. If my broadband company next week starts dialing down my Skype speed so Skype doesn't work as well for me, I might not even know it or notice it for a long time until Skype starts frustrating me. And out of frustration, I'm just going to pick up my old phone and dial India the old-fashioned way and just pay for it because I know the call is going to go through. That's the sort of frustration and opacity we might start seeing on the internet. So it is a service question, a competition question, an economic development question, a consumer question, and it really is dollars and cents. All right. Siva, thank you very much. Thank you, Brooke. Siva Vadianathan is an assistant professor of culture and communication at New York University. my life I'm a lot like you were Oh man look at my life uh, There's an issue that uh, affects the internet quite a bit It's called net neutrality Not a lot of people know about it in the mainstream I gotta be honest with you but uh, on the internet obviously there's a gigantic issue Adam Green from MoveOn.org is here to explain to us what it is and how we scored a giant victory today apparently in this issue. Adam, well, welcome to the Young Turks. Thank you. Good to be with you. All right. Uh, first of all, we're celebrating today, right? We won. Today is a vast day of celebration. We had a big victory in Capitol Hill. How often issue, does that happen? <laughs> you know, um, hopefully it'll happen more and more <laughs> as time <laughs> progresses, but it, was, it really was a big victory for the issue of net neutrality. And as you said, a lot of people don't necessarily know what that issue means, but at its very basic, what it means is that big internet companies like AT&T and Verizon don't get to choose which websites open quickly on your computer. So they can't allow Yahoo to pay a special fee to slow down Google and have only Yahoo open your computer. Because AT&T and the cable companies, for example, are the ones that control the actual hardware, if you will. It's not really hardware, but the cables and the outlets that bring you the Internet. Since they control that, uh, it, they're saying, hey, why don't you let us charge different companies, different uh, prices for how quickly uh, they can get on the Internet and other services. Exactly. They're the gatekeepers. And, 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 and for the entire history of the Internet, there's been this rule called net neutrality, and, and it basically means they don't get to discriminate between websites. And is, is it, as you say, that, 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 that Yahoo could pay AT&T a fee to make Yahoo go quicker, or would it, would it be, as you suggested, actually, that Yahoo would pay AT&T to slow Google down? Is it, is it that, or would it just speed Yahoo up? Well, I mean, it's two sides of the same coin. No, I'm just curious whether there's something more sinister in paying a fee to make it harder to reach your opponent than it is to pay more so that you are quicker than everything else. Right. I guess the bottom line is this. You know, people have various options as to how they access the net. You know, you have an option of getting a dial-up modem or a cable modem. And if you get a cable modem, you're equipping your computer to have a certain speed. Right. There shouldn't be false, you know, um, you know slow sites in your computer and false fast sites based on who AT&T decides to, to discriminate for or against. And, you know, Google and Yahoo, if you have a fast, um, 
you know, connection should open equally on your computer. And it's not just limited to Google, you know, Google and Yahoo. In places where there is no net neutrality, there is blatant censorship of some sites. Um, the AT&T of Canada, where there is no net neutrality, was in a labor dispute with their workers. And there was a website that was sympathetic to their workers, and they just shut it down. Any person who got their, inter- their Internet service from this company just could not access any information about this political issue. Um, and that is really frightening. And that's why groups from all across the political spectrum are uniting behind this issue. It's not every day that Move On teams up with the Christian Coalition and Gun Owners of America and groups like the ACLU. It's, it's kind of an odd bedfellows, but um, strange bedfellows. But it's happening, and the reason is we all agree on one thing, which is the Internet is vital for democratic participation. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, and I, when I read the first story about it, I probably sometime last month, and, and, and it was a story about the oddity of, of the coalition, one thing that, that surprised me about it was, since you, what you just mentioned happening in Canada, was the right wing's uh, right wing group's participation in it. Because it, it strikes me, I, I I don't see a scenario where left wing groups pay a lot of money to get to, to prevent people from getting the Drudge Report, whereas I do see it uh, circumstances developing where it would be a lot easier to get the Drudge Report than the Huffington Post, for example, or than, than your website, moveon.org. So I'm actually, in this case, pleased, obviously, as, as you are as well, to see the right-wing sites participate. But I am actually a small bit surprised by it. Are they actually worried that, that this could be used to hurt them? Well, you know, I guess you, you want to have faith that every group that's advocating a certain issue or yeah, position yeah. Um, wants to win on the merits. As right, right, to having... right. That's a good one. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, a group like the Christian Coalition, you know, they, I guess they see themselves as having done okay under the current system. So That's why, true. Allow, right. you know, when they, when they put out a press release announcing that they were joining the SaveTheInternet.com coalition, they pretty much said what, what would happen if a board of directors was pro-choice and wanted to shut down pro-life All right, well, sites. Adam, we're talking to Adam Green from MoveOn.org. So who are the bad guys here? Who's arguing against this since it seems so elementary that, that what right-thinking American wouldn't be in favor of net neutrality? Who are the bad guys? Exactly. You know, there's big companies like AT&T, Verizon, and Comcast who are essentially spending millions and millions of dollars uh, in campaign contributions and huge lobbying efforts on Capitol Hill to get a lot of, pretty much fool a lot of members of Congress into voting for something that they would never vote for if they understood what it was. And they were really trying to slip this by the public. They thought the public wasn't paying attention, and they had this whole plan to win. Um, and there's really been an amazing transition that happened just the last month. About a month ago, there was this kind of arcane subcommittee vote where net neutrality was voted out of law um, by a vote of 22 to 8. Jesus. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it was bipartisan. A lot of Democrats voted the wrong way. The next week, we started the SaveInternet.com coalition. We had 50 groups. We had thousands of phone calls into Congress. And two weeks later, there was another vote, and it was, it was almost even. We still lost that one, but um, we made huge momentum. And now we're up to 700 groups. 700,000 people have signed an online petition to Congress. People in MySpace, who are normally non-political, have joined our Save the Internet MySpace account. And just today, we had this amazing 20 to 13 victory. So really, we've gone from kind of it being a, a bipartisan anti-net neutrality issue to a somewhat partisan Democratic versus Republican issue to now, hopefully, a bipartisan, um, you know, huge support for net neutrality. And that's the way it should be. But, Adam, you're saying something that's uh, really, really interesting there. I mean, how did you swing? You go from 22 to 8 uh, against you to 20 to 13 in your favor. Yep. In one month, that's a giant, giant actual electoral swing. 
how did you, the, the, the members that voted against net neutrality and now they voted for it, how did you get them to flip-flop? Is it simply the calls into their office? Because we've done that before, and a lot of times that doesn't really work. It, or was there something else behind it? Were there other companies that wound up did uh, putting you pay, pressure Adam, on? Did you pay these members of Congress? <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you put the, any yeah. money in their freezer? Yeah, did you just <laughs> stick money in, in, in the freezers? Because that there, works, is what I hear. <laughs> there, there, were, there were no uh, no, no freezer no freezer All packages. All right, so you say. But, um, well, that's a good question, because, you know, Fortunately, we do have some companies on our side, like Google and Yahoo and eBay and Amazon, who realize that this is a complete threat to the entire free and open Internet that, is, that have allowed their sites to thrive. But and, really, and, by the way, they would get shaken down if this were to happen. They would lose their power to the Bell South, the AT&Ts, the carriers, that they, they would then come and say, well, either Yahoo's going to pay me more or Google's going to pay me more. Now, how many billion do you guys want to sh- hand over to me for absolutely no reason? Exactly. I mean, every single person with a website or organization with a website would be shaken down if net neutrality is gone. Um, and, and, you know, quick uh, Internet access would go to the highest bidder all the time. But, um, yeah, so, I got to say, the most comparable battle to this one is the one over uh, media consolidation about two, two and a half years ago, when a million petitions came into Congress, and this, again, an arcane issue that nobody had heard about before, all of a sudden just kind of captured the public's attention. And that's what's happening here. We had Congress, members of Congress about to vote for something. They thought it was a free vote, but the public rebelled. And as Ed Markey, one of the main sponsors of net neutrality, said the other day, the Internet is fighting back to save itself, and it's so true. Non-political people and non-political groups are taking a real interest in this issue. We're talking to Adam Green from MoveOn.org. Adam, uh, how many people signed the petition? You said 700,000? Yeah, I think actually today we topped 750,000. Uh, they can sign it at MoveOn.org's website. They can sign it at SaveTheInternet.com. So this and is not over because they got to go to the full house. Is that right or no? Right. After today's vote, we have a lot of momentum going to the full house, which probably will happen the first or second week of June. And also right now there's a bipartisan bill being uh, debated in the Senate. So there's a lot of votes to come. This will probably be a couple more months of a, of a fight. Um, Either, hard, the, hard to reverse the trend, though, once you've, once you've got the momentum going your way that strong. Yeah. So, well, that's, that's true, but obviously you've got to keep applying pressure. Cause obviously, because th- that leads to amazing point number two. Because as long as you don't shine the light on these guys, they will. I mean, Democrat, Republican, it, it doesn't matter too much, apparently. They are ready to sell out at an instant. If right. people aren't paying attention, they're like, what company's giving me money? Done. Done. Right? And then all of a sudden, somebody puts a light on them, and then other companies give them money, and then all of a sudden, you well, got an issue. Adam, let me ask that same question in a different way, because something you said earlier would suggest that it may not have been selling out so much as, uh, as, as blissful ignorance. Uh, how many members of Congress were voting on something that they clearly had no understanding about? I think it's a combination of the two, um, especially the first committee that voted with the 22 to 8 vote. These, these are all members of Congress who have just been showered with campaign contributions from the big telecom companies. So, that, so you know, given that and given the fact that they were completely ignorant, they were just willing to vote lockstep. All of a sudden, you know, here's a, here's a great example. Congressman Bart Stupak from, from Michigan right. um, voted. He's one of the Democrats who had the wrong way. And that week, we had members go to his town hall meeting, which was in this podunk part of his district, um, probably the most far-out part of his district you can imagine. We had people go there, and three out of 12 questions were about net neutrality. Now, here's somebody who thought it was going to be a free vote, and all of a sudden, he's getting pummeled at home for this. That's the kind of power that we need on our side. Regular people taking a stand. See, but the thing is, I love the idea of a free vote, like... It's a free vote because then people won't notice that I've right. sold them out. 
You right. know, like I'm as long as I can get some money in the door from the corporation, we got to change this whole system, man. This whole system's that you know over the last three, four months, we haven't talked about it on the air that much, but it's been growing inside me that, like. <laughs> Well, I'll leave those analogies behind. But anyway, <laughs> no, what, do you this, what do you propose? No, I've had this growing thought. It's it's over, man. This whole idea of of people getting money, corporate contributions, and then they vote based on that, and almost completely based on that, unless they get found out. Like they got found out on net neutrality. Right. They're like, okay, panic, panic, change my vote. But if they're not found out, they always vote the way of their pocket. And and of course, that's human nature. We got to change it so that it's got to be public financing of campaigns. It's the more I think about it, the more I think uh, that's growing to be issue number one. And, and does Move On have a position on that at all? Yeah. In in general, we favor um, you know, public financing and cleaning up elections. Although I gotta say, I think that's a partial solution. The other part is that you know people live busy lives, and it's tough for people to be actively engaged in issues. But we we have to be engaged, and the whole the whole lesson of this campaign is that when people get engaged, we win. The good guys win. And one thing that's really kind of you know I, a lesson that I've learned from this whole campaign is that there actually are areas of common ground uh, that set you know where groups like Move On and Christian Coalition and Right March, the kind of the right wing version of Move On, they are actually. Um, they have different interests than those who are kind of in power right now. Um, here's an example. You know, right now, pretty much the law gives cable companies a monopoly in local areas. So if you live in Brooklyn, you'd think it would be completely wired, and if, if some company was about to you know, right. mess you up, you could switch services. But you can't, and that's because in law, monopolies are written in. Well, the right-wingers and the left-wingers actually agree that we should just tear down those barriers and stop the, sell out, the, you know, the selling out of our, of our structures to these corporations, but the politicians in D.C. Um, don't agree. So what we really need is kind of a popular rebellion on so many issues where we look for new coalitions and people get involved, reach out to those who you might disagree with on some issues, but you are completely aligned with on others, and we just have to fight back. You know, it's, a, it's a, two things on that. One, real quick, it's a yeah. reminder that when possible to maintain... Uh, civility, because you never know when the issue will come down the pike where you will unite with people who you were arguing with the day before. And then what's frustrating a little bit about this is to hear about issues like this where the right and the left can come together so often and wonder why we're not able to do that on something that should be so elementary to so many people on the right, like warrantless wiretapping. You know, we have Bob Barr on this program uh, all the time, former Congress, conservative congressman from Georgia, Clinton prosecutor, yep. who stands right with us on uh, on warrantless wiretapping uh, every step of the way. It's an outrage, uh, and, and, and but where are the rest of his compatriots on the right on this, I find. Right. Well, that's because they're goddamn sellouts. How do you like me now? All right, listen, uh, by the way, move on. You know, you get a lot of these, you know, from Fox. Oh, these move on people and stuff. But, man, you guys do. You, when you take out a couple of lead pipes and a blowtorch, you're not playing. Uh, wh- how many uh, members are there of move on? We have 3.3 uh, 3 million members across the country. And, and you're right. You know, we, our whole mission is to empower regular people to, you know, take action on issues that they care about. And tomorrow... You know, everybody who voted the right way will get thank you calls from their constituents, and that's what should happen. But those who voted the wrong way will get flooded with phone calls from those who are angry. And guess what? There was one Democrat today, uh, Delahunt from Massachusetts, who decided to vote present. 
the entire free and open Internet is at stake, and he votes present, doesn't even take a stand. <laughs> he will be hearing from his constituents tomorrow. Let me tell you so, something. To, to not take a stand on an issue like this, that takes, that takes great courage. It's pretty outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> it takes great courage. Right. Exactly. Profiling courage. <laughs> yeah. Right. Present. He, he, he totally was emblematic of net neutrality by being completely neutral. That's exactly what happened. Maybe he's like my mom and, and doesn't know anything about the Internet. What was that? Maybe he's like my mom, doesn't know how to use the Internet. Right. Maybe. I, I can't wait for the day that I see a documentary on somebody that, like, Profiles and courage, and then it, and then the music starts and goes, and then he voted present, and the crowd goes wild. Right. <laughs> All right, Adam Green for. So before we go, I just want this one give a shout out one more time to SaveTheInternet.com website. Um, anybody who really actually wants to take a stand on this campaign and get active, there's tons of ways to get active on that site. Go to SaveTheInternet.com while you can still get there quickly. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. All right, no Thanks, problem. Adam. Adam Green for MoveOn.org. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, you know that uh, Rush Limbaugh has reached an agreement. This happened a few days ago with uh, Florida officials, prosecutors. He will not be prosecuted. Uh, Limbaugh's lawyer says it's uh, it's a settlement. There's no admission of anything. Although Limbaugh um, agreed to a, a set of restrictions on his activities, paid some money to the state, but that's just a settlement. There's nothing wrong with that. He, nothing nothing wrong happened. Um, there will be no prosecution. He'll continue in uh, treatment for, I guess it's five years. And uh, interestingly enough, from uh, that treatment center, we have received the following tape. Now, from inside an undisclosed treatment facility, the most listened to drug addict in America on a rush to recovery. Rush Limbaugh! Greetings, counselors and tough love administrators all across the fruited plain of my mind. With talent on loan from God and half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair for the other half, which is still loaded to the flipping gills, I am your avatar of broadcast turpitude, Rush Limbaugh. I want to thank uh, Roger Hitchcock for taking the reins of my radio broadcast for the next little while. But uh, here in the abstinence and broadcasting building that is my own cerebral cortex, we're embarking on the third of an unknown number of hours in the Limbaugh Institute of Advanced Conservative Revisionism, because, my friends, cold turkey is something far worse than what you eat the day after Thanksgiving. This is a, a situation that I take full responsibility for, even though it was caused by one stupid housekeeper with a big mouth. And I acknowledge that I have often treated those addicted to or, or just using drugs with uh, great uh, contempt and, and, and lack of compassion, advocating that they should be arrested, tried, and jailed. But my friends, and, 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 and I wonder at this point if you are, my friends, those, those weak, undisciplined adherents of a degenerate lifestyle which threatened the very fabric of a God-fearing community had one very dramatic shortfall in their characters. They... They weren't me, but 
Now, I'm not me either. I'm not a conventional air mattress. I'm totally adjustable. Environnutsus and feminazis, the homeless and the Democrats who would like nothing better than to have Saddam Hussein as their presidential candidate next year. I love you all. Now, even though I'm uh, not on the air, and, and th this is this is pretty uh, this is pretty impressive technology, more impressive than the procedure that restored my hearing after it mysteriously disappeared with no connection to any overuse of prescription medication. We we have a caller. I really don't know how this is working, but um, hello, you're on the AIB network. Hey, Rush, it's uh, it's Bill Clinton, long-time target, first-time caller. Uh, President Clinton, I'm, yeah. I'm really not prepared for this. Uh, my uh, my mind's only on three-second delay, so... No, don't, uh, don't, don't worry, man, I'm not going to swear at you. I'm going to do something that's going to make you feel so much worse. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what's that, sir? Make, make me go on a date with Mrs. Clinton? <laughs> no, Rush. Mm. I'm going to feel your pain. Oh, no. And you're going to feel mine because I'm going to play a saxophone solo over the telephone. Uh -oh. Hold on. Let, let's, let's put this call on hold. And uh, let me... Um, let me continue here with my exegesis of uh, my position, because uh, this is important. It's about the future of of excellence, or the excellence of the future. And um, speaking of the future, my next book, I Told You I Was Right and I Was Wrong, is due out shortly after I am. I really should be working on it right now, rather than engaging you, my friends of the brain cell audience. But I have always respected you and given you the benefit of your own thoughts and... Uh, and now we find the liberals doing what they always do, and I've told you this, they always try to give me 50 milligrams of Vicodin instead of the 80s. But that's what liberals do. And um, in my new book, I told you I was writing, I'm, uh, I'm a liberal too, because, uh, because to tell you the truth, at the base of all this, ladies and gentlemen, has been a deep and abiding physical attraction to the late Bella Abzug. You can try her yourself in your own home for 30 days, risk-free. But uh, but this is what is gnawing away at the traditional values that hold this country together, my friends. And it is, in fact, my next book. I told you I was gnawing away at the traditional values that hold this country together. Um, we've got another caller. And I, I want to pay a tribute to the engineers here at the Betty Ford Institute for Advanced Nonlinear Studies for putting it through. Hello, you're on the AIB Network on Open Line Friday. Uh, Rush, it's, it's John Ashcroft, and it's Thursday. Sir, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the call, but mm -hmm. uh, it is my hallucination, and that kind of obviates the conventional calendar approach. Rush, and, Rush, I, I know you have a lot of time to fill, but mm -hmm. I've got detainees to sort. I uh, I just wanted to call up and say God wants his talent back. You know, Mr. General, I, I, I don't believe in, um, in coincidence, but I was just writing the other day in the Limbaugh letter, the most consistently authoritative political newsletter in the history of the known universe, that, uh, that I don't believe in coincidence. <laughs> How about that? Rush this treatment stuff is the bunk. Why don't you just come over to the Justice Department and sing hymns with us every morning? Have you off the sauce in no time. Well, uh, Mr. General, thank you very much for the call. I think we're running out of time on the satellite. I, I am uh, I am curious about one thing. How did you get this number? 
time than bugging Bill Clinton's cause. John Ashcroft, ladies and gentlemen, taking the time to connect with the largest audience of time-release narcotic molecules in the history of broadcast access. We're just beginning this excursion into my new book. I told you I was white, but we, uh, we got some bills to pay and um, some nausea to deal with. And then we will be back with more of the Rush Limbaugh program, so I urge you not to go away, and if you do... Please take me with you. Last thing on net neutrality. And then there's some chances. I have three more things to say. Oh, that please. Uh, and since there's a, uh, it seems that they won, there's some chance that hopefully this will be the last things we ever say on net neutrality. Um, it's the power of only hearing one side of the argument. And that's what happened in America before the Iraq war as well. And that, and that was proved to be an enormous problem. Uh, you know, somebody comes in and, and Tim Wu, um, he's a, a law professor at Columbia, wrote a piece about this in Slate. says, what, what, what? And they said to these congressmen, they said, look, it's like uh, the AT&T and the telecom companies. That it's like KFC. They got to deal with Pepsi. And Pepsi pays them. And they're the only things that Pepsi, Pepsi's the only soft drink they carry. So it would be like that on the internet. There's no problem with that. That's capitalism, baby. And that proved to be persuasive to a lot of people. And then other people, when the, when the other people finally came in on the other side, they said, wait, 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 no, no, no. Internet's not like that. You don't have to go to KFC. You can go to KFC or McDonald's or anywhere else you like. The internet is more like a highway. It's like a public road that everybody travels on. And and what AT&T is asking you to do is carve out a high-speed lane for only GM or only Ford or only a specific kind of company. So in that case, not by definition, since there's only so many lanes on the highway, not only do you speed up the GM cars, you slow down everybody else, and you create a perverse system that isn't capitalism. Then you got people rushing to make sure that they pay the highway people more money to get that fast lane. They don't make better cars. They don't serve the, the system at all. There's not more competition. All they do is they pay the highway guys more money to get the fast lane. You had me at Tim Wu. <laughs> I don't know. You're right. I'm sure you're right. I don't, look, I uh, powerful argument. <laughs> powerful argument. No, look, it's obvious. You can't slow the internet down for certain websites. It's obvious. It's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, now then, then riddle me this, Mister Magowitz. Uh, am I not right about public financing? Uh, because look, here's the thing: these sons of bitches, man. Are you not right about public finance? No, it's it's my proposal. Okay, <laughs> no, no, I'm, but I'm asking a serious yeah. question here, and I'll and I'll throw out the phone number. Don't think I won't. We got a lot to get to, but I'm not I'm not above throwing out a number: eight six six nine nine seven four seven four eight eight six six nine nine seven four seven four eight. If you don't realize the show is on the YoungTurks.com, twenty four hours a day video, I don't know what's wrong with you. Anyway, uh, look. These guys, they get the money from corporate interests or from lobbying interests or from whatever interests, right? Mm -hmm. But interests, right? And since they get the money from those people, they only serve those people until they're caught. We had Ned Lamont on the show. Ned Lamont, who's a, a you know a, a powerful guy and 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 you know a, a connected guy in Connecticut, he couldn't get a, a meeting with Joe Lieberman until he gave him five hundred bucks. I mean, he gave money to everybody, but Ned Lamont pointed that out when we had him on early in the show. Now, if we do public financing of the campaigns, oh, that's like giving charity to the politicians. No, but I'm not our free speech. 
Okay, da, 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 calm down. All right, you're at a ten. You need to be at like a negative three, because yeah, we might spend a lot of money on public financing of elections, but we'd save so much more money on all the giveaways that these com- that these politicians do for the companies. For example, we save twenty two billion dollars alone on that on what. Uh, Grassley gave away to the HMO companies in the in midnight on a bill. He's like, ah, I changed my mind here. Twenty two billion dollars HMOs. Good, good night. Yep. I mean, you take that that twenty two billion alone and that one single bill on that one single day, right? And that could do public financing for the whole country campaign. Yeah. Look, I I I thought this forever. For no, as long it's as my it, proposal. Oh. Stop trying to steal it. I I I think it's. I, do you I'm, agree with me? Answer that question. Yes. I agree. Thank you. I agree with you. you Moving on. Uh, you convinced me. <laughs> no, all right. So that makes sense, right? I mean, the reason I keep asking you is because I'm not missing anything, am I? No, no. Look, there's a problem that Americans have the right to use their money as a form of expression. That's a legitimate argument, certainly. No, go ahead. God bless. Do run all the ads you like. Do whatever you like. But you can't give it to the politicians. Yeah, well, running the you ads. Know, I have a right to speak. I don't have a right to the only problem is give you, money to a politician. I understand. Then you get into the swift boat thing, and you're like, oh, no, we did those ads without consulting the Bush campaign. No, I know, and we'd get a lot more swift boat. I understand that. Right. We would. There's no question about that. But it would be better than, here, I give you this money, you vote this way. I agree. I agree. We've reached a conclusion. It's over. It's over. Public campaign financing from now on. This is Ben Mankiewicz from the Young Turks, and you're listening to us on the Best of the Left podcast. Catch the entire show live at www.theyoungturks.com. So I was going to make a big deal about going to savetheinternet.com, but I, I'm pretty sure you got that message already. So it's uh, it's easy to do. I linked to it on my site. Uh, couldn't be easier. It takes three seconds to sign up, and uh, you're good to go. Now let me just explain real quick how podcast alley works for those of you who don't know you go to podcastalley.com you right there on the home page you see the top 10 podcasts in the directory you know the most number of votes and then there's a link that a lot of people use when they're looking for new podcasts but they don't really know what they're looking for and they just click it and it says top podcasts and that brings you to the top 50 podcasts and then from there you can go on and you can say show me more show me more and it brings you you know 50 more or 100 more you know on down the line so right now you guys have done a great job and i'm at number like 70 ish 75 right in that range it you know it always fluctuates and so what i need is to get into the top 50 at least you know i'm not so delusional as to think that i'm going to really get anywhere near the top 10 yet but you know top 50 would be a big boost it's a lot better than being in the top 100 you know so that's that's the goal I'm setting and believe me it's easy. I mean if if you go you'll see how many votes I have and you can look at all the other you know podcasts that are listed and how many votes they all have. I mean the 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 difference is minuscule compared to the number of listeners I have. 
So I know that, you know, a lot of people don't vote on Podcast Alley every month, and that's normal. But, I th- I mean, I think it's kind of too bad in in a way that, you know, because podcasts as a medium are a very interactive, uh, a very um, proactive medium to listen to. You know, you have to choose the shows you listen to. You've got to go get them and, you know, you, you sign up and then they come to you automatically and that's nice and all. And then you have to choose to actually listen to it. You know, it's not like the radio where you just turn it on and whatever starts shouting at you, that's what you're listening to, you know. So it's it's much more proactive on your part to be hearing me and all the other shows you listen to. So I fully encourage you to support me and all of the other shows by voting on Podcast Alley. You can vote for as many shows as you like. Um, if you do what I do and vote for all the shows you like, it's super easy to register at Podcast Alley, and then you don't have to even deal with the, uh, you know, the confirmation emails and all that crap. That you know, you know, if you, if you're only voting for one show, it's no big deal. If you vote for twenty, and you have twenty confirmation emails. That gets to be a little, uh, a little bit of a hassle. So what you can do, if you want to vote for me, which I would appreciate to no end, go to bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Scroll down just a little bit, right past the uh, savetheinternet.com link, and click the Vote at Podcast Alley link, and it'll take you right to the page. You put in your email address, you click Vote, you do the confirmation email, and you're done. And, you know, if you want, it's a, it's a really convenient place to drop me a little note, too. And if you think I don't read those, you're crazy, because I check them all the time because I'm obsessed. So that's all I'm saying. You know, help spread the word of the show. You know, people seem to think that this is the sort of show that needs to be heard by more people. And, you know, frankly, I couldn't agree more. So that's just, uh, it's a really easy way for you as a listener to help in, in that whole process. Aside from that, for God's sakes, tell your friends about this show. Send out an, an email and, and give, them, give them the link to the, to the feed or to the website or to my MySpace page, which you should all sign up for, for my Frapper map, which you should all sign up for. The fun thing about the Frapper map is if you send people there, then my show just starts playing automatically. So they can't even help but you know, hear a little piece of it. Same with MySpace, actually. There's a there's a promo that plays. So those are real good places to send people to, and you can find links to those on the website as well. Now, I know most of you aren't actually sitting in front of a computer right now, so for God's sake, pull out a pen, write this down, make a note. It's what I do all the time. You know, that's how all these clips get to you, because I make notes of everything. Uh, if if I didn't have a pen with me all day, I would never get anything done at night because I wouldn't have any idea what I was supposed to do for the day. So make a note, you know, do these things and, you know, you'll feel good good about yourself afterwards.
it's uh it's not the sort of thing where you um where you wonder if people are still going to respect you in the morning put it that way my god sometimes i go on way longer than i expect so you know sorry for that but you take the good with the bad i suppose have a good one everybody Hi, this is Nancy of Wake Up AM, Wake Up America podcast. Kathy, Meg, and I are proud to be members of the Progressive Podcast Network. Check out all of the great podcasts over at newmediarevolution.org. The Progressive Podcast Network. Stick a fork in the mainstream media because they're done. Period. And if that leads to a fucking impeachment, then so fucking be it. Mm.